we see the impact that we have on patient lives every single day at Bristol Myers Squibb. And I was listening to a patient story recently and they were talking about their experience and what a life change this medication had been. And what they said resonated so much. They weren't talking about themselves, but they said, you need to realize as you are building these medications and delivering them to patients that you're not just impacting that one patient's life, but you are impacting everybody in their life. And I thought, yes, you get it. I was impacted by the wonderful, brilliant scientist who created medications that has my mother here over 20 years after her initial diagnosis. It was something I didn't know would be possible, and I'm so incredibly grateful. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. I'm joined today by Sydney Klein, whom I met via my good friend, Michelle Valdez. Sydney is the Chief Information Security and Data Officer for Bristol-Myers Squibb, a global biopharmaceutical company whose mission is to discover, develop, and deliver innovative medicines that help patients prevail over serious diseases. Sydney has over 20 years of experience in cybersecurity. Prior to joining Bristol-Myers Squibb, she served as Vice President of Cyber at Capital One Financial, where she led a lot of programs, uh, some of which uh, I'd love to dive deep into today. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you for having me here today. Sydney, I'd love to start actually by asking you if you would share with our audience your reflections about yourself as a young person. Who is Sydney Klein? in high school and in college before you became an international cybersecurity leader? Well, I, I grew up the daughter of a naval officer and uh, we grew up in a community that was full of retired and active military forces. And my dad, uh, who is an engineer by training and, and by practice, uh, he was always tinkering with technology. I remember our first computer coming home and playing those early video games and being exposed to technology. And I remember being really intrigued by it. Uh, I enjoyed my time in high school and college. I, I did go to college and uh, didn't quite know what I wanted to be when I grew up but knew that science and technology was gonna play some part of that. And I'm so very glad that it did. And, you know, I really credit my father for exposing me to those sorts of career opportunities that existed here. Yeah, I, I wondered actually if your choice to study information technology in college was inspired by your father and by his profession and by just kind of growing up in a household where it sounds like you always were exposed to technology. Yeah, you know, I think as children, you look at the possibilities based on what you see around you. So I would say it was the thing that I saw 
most visible around me. He seemed to enjoy his job. I never saw him wake up and feel uh, not excited about going and, and doing what he was doing. And I also felt that he was very connected to the mission of what he was doing. And I knew that I really wanted to be connected to that mission. Uh, I thought that I might go more into the healthcare field initially. And, uh, and so it was kind of the science part that brought me into it more than the computer science part that brought me into it. And I majored in what was then a very new course. Uh, they hadn't even had the, the graduating class of it, the Integrated Science and Technology Program at James Madison University. And it was fascinating. I was doing things like biotechnology and health systems, information knowledge management. And I, I thought that that might be an angle, uh, thought about pre-med, actually became an EMT and volunteered uh, as an EMT in college, and then very quickly realized that was not the career path for me. While I could deal with um, some of the things that make people queasy in medicine, I could not deal with the emotional aspect. And on a call where I cried more than uh, the people who were dealing with a tragedy, I realized that might not be best for me from an emotional capacity. And, and so it was really the technology piece. And, you know, it's why I love talking about these sorts of things and, and what got people into their career path, because to some degree, you're influenced by what you see as possible. Um, I certainly didn't think I would end up in information or cybersecurity, but I was lucky enough to know that technology seemed really cool. And that's where I headed. You know, Sydney, I'm so I'm going to bounce around a bit chronologically, if that's okay with you. Definitely. You know, you said that when you were observing your father, he always seemed so mission driven. Um, and I've also heard you say how much you're connected to the mission of your current company which is to help patients prevail over serious diseases. And, and certainly um, it's so interesting for me to learn that you did a role as an EMT uh, and that also that you had the self-awareness to recognize maybe this is emotionally not, not the best decision for me. I am curious to know if, if you would share with our listeners, why is it that you find yourself so passionate about helping patients prevail over serious diseases? Yeah, I really, I've always been drawn to work for a company that I feel connected to the mission. I was in financial services. I felt like that was a really important thing to do because as a society, we succeed with financial stability and even more so we succeed in our life with our health. And so when I began learning about Bristol-Myers Squibb and was exposed to what they were doing, I thought, oh my goodness, this just seems like a company that I could feel at home at. I could really feel like I was designed to do this and, and serve our patients. And I think it was a bit shaped by my life as well. My mother is a four-time cancer survivor. She has had melanoma, and it is one of the primary disease focus areas of the company. 
Uh, I'm so happy to say that she is not only alive and well, but she is living with me uh, by chance moved in the day before the lockdown of the pandemic occurred and uh, she's she's been living with us since and gosh what a gift to be with your parents as an adult and have them get to know your children so that that's been great but I tell you we see the impact that we have on patient lives every single day at Bristol Myers Squibb and I was listening to a patient story recently and they were talking about their experience and what a life change this medication had been and what they said resonated so much. They weren't talking about themselves, but they said, you need to realize as you are building these medications and delivering them to patients that you're not just impacting that one patient's life, but you are impacting everybody in their life. And I thought, yes, you get it. I was impacted by the wonderful, brilliant scientist who created medications that has my mother here over 20 years after her initial diagnosis. It was something I didn't know would be possible and I am so incredibly grateful. And so when you, when you think about the opportunity to get up every day and go to work and have this wonderful impact, and I know it's not just the scientists who were creating that impact. It is the people who sign the contracts and procurement to make sure that we can partner with the most innovative companies around the world. It is my team who is enabling us to get this data that so much helps us understand where should we be focusing on the future of disease therapy. It's our cybersecurity work that makes sure that our systems are available and that we're able to deliver medications to our patients. And so that personal tie, we talk a lot at Bristol Myers Squibb about who are you working for? I'm working for my mother, who I'm so grateful is here today. And I know it's because of scientists. That is so incredible. And what fortunate timing that she is with you and has been with you since lockdown. Um, I also expect that your children are so grateful to be spending time with their grandmother. Absolutely. It has been a year of ups and downs, I know, and so many people have been suffering. And I know that many of those same people suffering will see the silver linings that have developed in this world. So that is for sure my silver lining, having my parents living with me. Wonderful. Sydney, tell me, so you are not just chief information security officer you are actually chief information security officer and chief data officer um i'd love to understand what does yes, that mean yes what an interesting combination right uh listen i hope if any listeners here find that you have that same job or you know somebody who does i would love to meet them so please let me know I think it's a, a new and innovative way to look at this. You know, enabling data, turning data into information and really preparing it for our scientists and our analysts to leverage it in our mission and enabling from a cybersecurity perspective that same work to happen. They're really two different sides of the same coin. And what I have loved so much about cybersecurity and what I've loved about the companies that I've chosen to work for is that we're not looking for security to lock down. We're actually looking to enable. And 
that's really what makes it so exciting. Frankly, I'm not sure I would want to work at a place that is looking only at preventative controls, only at controls that really hinder you and handcuff you. And so this, uh, this job, it opens me up to a new side of the challenges and opportunities that we face as a company. It allows us to really look at the things that are so blended between the concept of data and the concept of security. And a lot of times we talk about security, cybersecurity. It, it did in many ways get its beginnings in information security and data and information really you see that connection there and the places where I so much see that connection are in places that are really blended items like data governance bringing together the fact that we want to enable data to be leveraged in the right ways and protect that data well those are coming together I think in a really powerful way so this role is really new for me. I began at the beginning of this year. It was an unexpected move in my journey, one that I am absolutely thrilled about. Uh, but there's a lot for me to unpack here and hopefully develop uh, a way of the future. Very cool. I love hearing kind of all the different threads that you're bringing together. If it's information security, data governance, data protection. Um, there, it really is all sort of different parts of the same whole. Um, you know, Sydney, I am curious to know, uh, you spent a significant amount of time in your career in your various roles at Capital One. What was it like for you? What were you thinking about when you were considering the decision to change companies. Yeah, I was there for almost 19 years. And uh, it was a company that I definitely loved working for. And I started my journey there um, it, with information security. And it, starting in 1999, it was such an, an early concept in private industry. And so it exposed me to so many opportunities to build things. I remember building our first application security program, building our first third-party risk management program, building our first information security officer type of program. And it was so wonderful to have those first and to build. And I think uh, when you're at a company for that long, you have moments of reflection and you think, do I need to make a change? Am I maybe a little bit stagnant in my career? Do I want exposure to how something else is done somewhere else? And there were a few times that I reflected on that. And as I neared the time that I would leave uh, Capital One, it really came down to, I felt like I had solved many of the challenges. Uh, I knew I wanted to change. I actually, shortly before I left, got a new role because I knew that I, I felt like I had done the things I had done and I was ready for a new challenge. And it ended up feeling very much like it was the same challenge uh, with a slightly different variation. And so for me, I was feeling like I was ready to do something else. And so I considered staying in the company and doing something dramatically different. And I just couldn't bring myself to leave cybersecurity. It was the domain that I had dedicated my career to. And it's one that I feel very much connected to the mission. And uh, right, Caroline, we talk about the, 
the lack of um, availability of resources in this industry. And we're seeing wonderful talent being built. So I know that that challenge doesn't have too much of a future here. We're going to overcome it, but I just didn't want to leave it. And so when I was evaluating, I, I was looking for a place to go and dedicate my career to cybersecurity, but in a very mission focused company and in doing something perhaps in a different industry. So uh, I, I learned about BMS, was intrigued to the mission as we discussed, and uh, certainly am incredibly thrilled with my decision. Fantastic. That is so cool and so interesting. You know, Sydney, I'd love to ask you about a couple of the really major initiatives that you've done throughout your career. Uh, one of them is establishing a program to assess the security of third parties. Another one is creating a line of business focused on the information security office function. I wonder if we might start with that first one with regards to uh, third party security, um, certainly uh, with the solar wind scenario and all of the various things that we as an industry have learned over the past few months. Um, Sydney, I'd love to learn more about a couple of major initiatives that you've built throughout your career. Uh, one of them is establishing a program to assess the security of third parties. Another one is creating a line of business focused on the information security office function. Now, with regards to that first major initiative, third-party security assessment, uh, certainly uh, we're all living in a time when, as an industry, you know, we've got our eyes and our minds on solar winds. You know, and and over the past few months, we've all been trying to figure out what happened, what does it mean for us. Um, certainly way before the year 2020, uh, you were focused on this. And I wonder if you can tell us, first of all, what does it even look like for us as an industry? Why is third-party security so important? And secondly, I wonder if you have any practical advice to offer to our listeners who some of them may be uh, challenged in the same area uh, and trying to work out strategies and solutions. So I think that third-party risk management is such an important topic, and it is an area that I got my start in information security, and I was a road warrior. I travel week to week going to different sites and assessing third parties, and it is even more important today. We are all so connected. There's no company that is its own business without connecting to other businesses. And so I really think about it as the larger ecosystem. And in cybersecurity, we talk a lot about the attack surface. And the attack surface is so incredibly large now when you don't just look at your company's footprint, but you look at all of the ways that we are connected to other companies in a very, very global way. And you see that we are all leveraging many of the same partners, which makes our ecosystem even broader. You know, there are lots of different ways to do this. 
And I think that in many ways, we're still relying on the processes that we implemented over 20 years ago, where we're sending these very onerous, long questionnaires to third parties and saying, complete this. We get the form back, we do a little bit of evaluation, we issue a report with a couple of recommendations. And I just don't think that that's the way of the future. And when you look at some of the, the breaches that have gotten such press like solar winds, I think of that and the consequences that will come from it. And my hope is that we don't take our 300 long list of questions in our questionnaire and make it a 500 question questionnaire. My hope is that we really look at this differently. I think that yes, there is a role in evaluating third parties, but there also needs to be a role in looking at your ecosystem. How are you protecting your ecosystem? Because there's no amount of questionnaire that's going to help you identify every challenge and opportunity and risk that exists within your ecosystem. I have seen over the past two decades, Lots of times when companies have tried to come together across industry and tackle this problem as a collective entity. And there are fits and starts, but I don't think that it's really gotten the traction that it deserves. And I hope that it will. I hope that we will bridge across companies and industries to really create a way that we're going to do shared assessments and that we're going to share the information but also help those third parties, especially those small business owners. I think about the small business owners, the minority business owners, the diverse businesses who we desperately want to partner with. How can we help them protect themselves so they can do business with larger companies? So that's my hope for how this is going to evolve. I think it's an incredibly, incredibly important program. I hope that every CISO is really focusing on what you're doing in third-party risk management that you're also thinking about as overall ecosystem protection and security. I couldn't agree more. I think that one of the fascinating things about today's just the way that different companies interact with and depend on each other, I think it just continues, you know, this web that connects us just continues to grow. And so if my company security affects your company's risk posture, then I think it just continues to matter. Uh, and I think it's amazing that you were really in kind of a pioneering type of role, you know, nearly two decades ago, uh, thinking about this at that point in time. Sydney, I'd also love to learn about when you were creating a line of business focused on the information security office function. You know, to me, I have so many questions about this. Um, one of them is because I think that, you know, it's a common question, like where does information security report to within an organization's uh, structure. Uh, and so I'd love to hear about your work in this area as well. That's right. It is a fiercely debated topic uh, that definitely dominates in, in times that we were together, the happy hours at the end of a conference. Uh, what is the reporting structure? What is best centralized versus decentralized? 
I will tell you that I am a fan of cybersecurity, information security reporting where it makes sense in your organization. And so I don't think that there's an answer that fits well with every company. I happen to work for the CIO, which I find to be the phenomenal and right solution in my company for the company that we are today. And I think that is also true because my boss really gets it and he's able to help influence it. And he's also able to help influence that this is not an information technology issue. It's a business matter that needs business attention. And, uh, and so it's important to have that. For the concept of building a line of business focused information security officer program, I really started that at a time that um, it was a pretty new concept. And gosh, it must have been like the, the 2014, maybe even 2013 timeline where we were realizing that if we really got to know the business, if we really were a trusted partner, then we would be able to better enable the business. I never wanted to be a function that said no. I wanted to look at how can we say yes? What do we need to know about where an organization is right now and where they wanna go? And so we started small, started by developing an information security officer for each of our major lines of business. It started with one person and it really grew beyond that. And when I left, there were teams, it was an over 100 person team that were supporting the lines of business. And there was a centralized reporting process. Uh, the, the information security officers reported into the CISO organization, uh, but there was a dotted line back to that business focused CIO and the business risk office. And I think that that's really important. Having that tight connection to both the business so you can be an advocate for the strategy and also the security organization. I think it is a fundamental function in every single program. I, in a way, you can think about it as the front door to your security program, the group that really makes sure that you understand what you're doing because security without understanding the business and the mission of the business simply will not be successful. Yep, I think that makes perfect sense. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us. Sydney, as the last question for today, I know that you have a huge passion for all things diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And near the start of our conversation today, there was a mention of the talent shortage. What's your perspective on the cybersecurity talent situation and where do you see it going in the future? You know, I think that we as cybersecurity leaders really have an obligation to build the talent. And one of the things that I find so disappointing in the way that it often goes about hiring is you're looking for somebody who has every qualification you can ever imagine. And sometimes when I look at job requisitions, I think, huh, that technology hasn't even been out for five years, but yet you want somebody with 10 years of experience. So I think that we need to reconcile what we are really looking for. 
when I'm looking to hire, I'm looking for potential. I'm looking for growth mindset. I'm looking for passion, for interest in really working to learn the subject. And yes, there are times where you will want a deep subject matter expert, but there are also times where bringing in a different perspective is actually the thing that your team is missing. And so when I'm hiring, that's absolutely what I'm looking for. I'm looking at the profile of my team and what's missing. Do we all have experience that comes from one particular industry? Even questions like, are we all very similar? Um, this similarity bias shows up so often in the way that we interview. And we really need to look at how are we bringing together diverse teams? One of the ways that we can do this in cybersecurity is to look at the requirements. So for instance, when I'm creating a job requisition, I'm really thinking about that full picture, not just this role, but that full picture. What does my team have and what does my team not have? I'm also examining to say, what are really the qualifications that are necessary? And in some cases, I am earmarking a position and saying, actually, this is a great one for tangential skill set. And it really depends on what that role is as to what's tangential skill set. If it's something in cyber risk management, maybe they did risk management somewhere else, quality risk management, IT controls, could have been in corporate security, could just really understand the business well. And there are so many examples of that for everything. And so I think that we need to look beyond the who's done this for the past 20 years and really recognize that we have an opportunity to build it. And I think in doing so, we're gonna be able to solve for that. Amazing. I'm so thrilled to hear that that's the way that you think. Uh, and I'm thrilled that you can leverage this podcast as a platform to share your philosophy on how to build wildly successful, high-performing security teams. Sydney, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and our listeners today on Humans of InfoSec. I have enjoyed this so much. Thank you, Caroline. It was such a joy to talk to you. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Mm -hmm.